You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 28 of the Myth Behaving podcast and we're recording March the 9th, 2014. I'm Carla Clifton, and I am joined by my normal co-host and partner in crime, Mayor Wilson. Hey, Mayor, how are you doing today? I am so good. How are you today, Miss Carla? I am doing absolutely wonderful. Cannot complain. It wouldn't do any good anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, nobody <laughs> listens when you complain anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? That's right. That's right. Hello, listeners. Each myth-behaving show features a special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, publisher, agent, or anyone else connected with the world of publishing. Plus, we have several special segments related to reading or writing. in the library of a myth behavior. And that means it's time for something from the library of a myth behavior. And today I am recommending The Trident Deception by Rick Campbell. This book is so I stayed up all night finishing this book because it was so good. I couldn't I couldn't put it down. I just kept saying one more chapter, one more chapter. This is a submarine book. It's a thriller. If you like Tom Clancy, if you liked The Hunt for Red October, which this is being very favorably compared to, you will like this book. It starts out with a bang, literally, and it just doesn't stop. It just, it is awesome. It is complex. There's a gigantic cast of characters that are all believable and very realistically drawn. And you talk about a fun read. This is it. Well, that must mean our special guest today is Rick Campbell. Welcome to the show, Rick, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Mary and Carla. Thanks for having me on your show today. I'm especially happy to have Rick on today because he's been a friend of mine for about three years now. Gosh, I can't believe it's been that long. And I am so excited about this book, Rick. Uh, this is your de- debut novel. Uh, it'll be out by the time the show airs, but of course we're recording just slightly before it's released. Uh, as an ex-Navy guy, you have so much practical experience to draw upon that makes, that gives so much depth to this book. Did you use any of your real life experiences in the book? And if so, how many? And can you tell us which ones they were? Well, I definitely used my real life experiences, but, uh, nothing specific in terms of actual scenes. Um, but I, I, I served aboard uh, four nuclear-powered submarines, so I used my actual Navy experience to, to write the actual scenes themselves. So um, although I didn't use specific um, like scenes to, to draw upon and actually insert into the book, uh, the actual experience was necessary to, to write the book itself. Yeah, and, and that's obvious because there is just there is so much detail on how submarines are, how they operate and how they work. Uh, It's just incredibly complex. Of truth and mythery. Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Rick, feel free to answer this. As a debut author, 
with a lead title. You don't have to do any marketing. Well, that's a that's a great question because uh, we talk about that uh, I think frequently in in a couple of the writer groups that I'm in, uh, and and usually it's focused on um, whether or not uh, an author can have any impact on on sales because you know it's actually kind of frustrating when a lot of writers put in a lot of work and they really don't see any um, any benefit to their marketing efforts, which which is very hard to to really to market your book, and and then so as a as a lead title, you would think that. Um, with with a lot of marketing muscle from a big five publisher that 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 as an author you really wouldn't have to do anything, um, and so it was actually kind of surprising because I, I met I went to uh, St. Martin's over the summer, and when I met my marketing manager, within the first thirty seconds she asked me if I was uh, interested in helping out with the marketing of my book, um, and uh, when I said yes, she was she was very happy about that because. At least to St. Martin's, they do want the author, even if you're a lead title, to help out with the marketing in any way that any way that you can. So, so yes, in that, in that case, at least to St. Martin's, they do want you to help out, even if you're a lead title. So they want you to help out, but is that really like something that you have to do, um, especially if you're a lead title? I'm just curious. Well, I don't re- I don't really know because I don't have a, you know, that much experience, and I don't know how. Um, the other lead titles, um, you know, how much they help out at St. Martin's. All I know is that uh, they they wanted me to help out at St. Martin's. That's cool. And I I kind of smiled when I asked put this question together because I know that Rick has just been doing a, a phenomenal amount of of marketing in the background of his own. So I know he's been doing a lot of hard work on this. Yeah, I have. Um, you know, and not a, my my art, my um, marketing efforts have been geared towards the, the military demographic, and I'm a little unusual, I think, because um, I, you know I have the ability to reach out and connect with a with the military demographic that mo- most authors don't really have that kind of connection or or a platform like like I do. Um, so I, again, I'm a little bit different than most authors because I, I do have the ability to not only identify the market but actually reach them where most authors don't. And so I'm having some success um, in that area. Um, and I think St. Martin's is, is kind of, um, they kind of like the ability, the fact that I have that ability to, to reach a, a certain demographic. So Rick, what exactly got you into writing and why did you choose to write a military thriller? Uh, well, that's a, not a good question. Uh, answer's a little bit long, but uh, uh, let me just try to explain. Um, I had this um this really what I thought was a really great science fiction story rolling around in my head for about twenty years, and um, I thought it would make a really great movie. But um, you know I don't know how to write a screenplay, and I, and even if I did write a screenplay, I don't don't have any connections or any any way of getting it made into a movie. But I thought that hey, if I write a book, maybe someone will read it and and then decide hey, this will make a great movie. So, but but I could never bring myself to um, write. The, the book because I don't really have any training in, in writing. I'm an engineer by trade, and uh, you know I'm you know give me some formulas and some numbers, and I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm happy crunching numbers. Uh, and, I, and I always thought that writing was really more of an innate talent. You either had had the ability and talent to write, or you didn't. It wasn't really anything that you could you could be taught. And so I can I can never really bring myself to write the story because 
um, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort, you know, a, a thousand to two thousand hours of, of effort to write a, a, a book. And then you've got to get an agent and, 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 and get a publishing deal. And I just thought the odds of me actually um, publishing a book, you know, were, were pretty much zero. And so uh, I just could never bring myself to actually write the book. So anyway, I was at a um, my high school, my twentieth high school reunion, uh, and at the um, end of the uh, the night, our high school advisor got up I and mean, grabbed the microphone, got in the center of the room, and uh, he, he he offered one piece of advice to everyone before we, we we left. And he goes, you know, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And it was like he was talking to me because I was just afraid of failing, afraid of wasting my time. And so I resolved right then and there that I would write that stupid book. Um, and it took me a few years to get around to it, but about, about five years later, I finally buckled down. I, and I started to write the book. I, I bought a bunch of how-to books and started, spent about a year studying, trying to figure out how to, how to write. And then I spent about another year writing the science fiction book. And then I queried about 40 agents, and not a single agent replied. And uh, so I was like, well, that didn't go too well. But the... Uh, you know, you know, I, and I, you know, so I, I had done my due diligence. I wrote my book, and I thought I was done. You know, I, you know, I'd given it my best. But you know, in the process of writing that book, I, I learned that I actually enjoyed writing. You know, I enjoyed creating something from nothing. Um, and then, I, then there's an adage that says, "I decided to give it another try." You know what I mean? I just, a little bit of pride kicked in, and I wanted to at least give it another shot. You know what I mean? And there's an adage that says, either write what you love or write what you know. Well, I, well, I had written what I loved, and no one else loved it. So I decided I'd, I would write what I knew. And, and what do I know? I know submarines. And that's how I kind of ended up with the military thriller. That's fascinating. That is an amazing story. It's time for MythPrint, tips and tricks of the industry. It's time for another one of our special segments. Mythprint includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Rick, could you share some tips on writing military thrillers? Well, I don't have a whole lot of tips yet because this is my uh, my first book, and uh, who knows if it's going to do do well or not. But uh, I would say, at least when it comes to military thrillers. Uh, I've certainly got a lot of good reviews so far, both uh, from the industry and um, certainly the early reviews, you know, on Goodreads and uh, early reader reviews on Amazon have been have been very, very good. Um, and I think um, I'd say the fundamental, um, I guess, ingredient is authenticity, and and um, and that's just um, trying to make the at least the military aspect of the thriller as authentic as possible. Uh, and I drew the, upon my background um, in submarines to to bring that um, ingredient to it. And then for those areas where I wasn't an expert, you know, I spent a lot of time doing the research, you know, filling in the holes, um, so I could I could make the whole novel as accurate as possible. So I think, at least for the military expert, you know, you know, don't for the military aspect, you know, don't wing it. Do the necessary research so that. It's, it's as accurate and, and as authentic as possible. Great advice. One of the things that's been fun as as we've been leading up to this, um, I get Rick's newsletter, and it's great because every now and then we'll get pictures 
that he's had taken over the years when inside the submarine. So that's that's kind of cool when he when he posts those in the newsletter and such. So that's that's a good tip to uh, get his newsletter, folks. If you, if you haven't signed up for it yet, we'll have all those links for you. You know, writing is a process of so many things, as as you said, and 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 we're all learning. But what is it you love most about what you do? Well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think what I enjoyed the most, and which I actually found surprising, was I liked um, creating something out of nothing. As I mentioned before, I'm I'm like you know the engineering type, engineering degree. You know, just give me some formulas and numbers and crunching, I'd be happy. But um, it was like kind of the first time that I was really exposed to the liberal, artsy, craftsy type of of, of process. And um, what I really enjoyed the most was just being able to create something out of nothing. And, that, and that's what I really enjoy. Well, is there anything about the process that you don't like? Uh, yeah, it's the writing itself. <laughs> To tell you the truth, some some writers really enjoy the writing part. You know, give them a pen, and they just go wild, and they really enjoy the writing and where it takes them. Uh, and I think those when you when you break them down into two types of writers, you got the outliners, you know, the, the and then and, and the and, and those that really don't have an outline. I think the ones that don't have the outlines and just just kind of write and and just go wherever the characters take them and the story takes them. I think those people tend to enjoy the writing more because it's it's kind of you know wherever the world takes them. Um. um I'm more of the outliner, um, and, and the process is very painstaking for me, and it's more like pulling teeth to get the words down onto the paper um, because I know exactly where I want to go, um, but getting there sometimes can be very painful. Um, so that's the hard part. The, the creating part is the hard part. The creation part is the fun part. Getting that finished product done, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. When it's all done, I'm happy, but not so happy in in the doing part. I I know a little bit about this um, road that you've been traveling the last few years, but would you share with our listeners a little bit about the actual journey that took you from unpublished to your current contract and as a lead title? I mean, that's 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 pretty exciting news uh, when 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 you released that news a while back uh that was pretty exciting to to hear that so why don't you you share with our listeners a little bit if you could okay um i wouldn't exactly call it exciting i would call it a long sad journey with a happy ending but um okay we'll, we'll start at the uh start at the beginning um actually started about four years ago um when i first decided to write trident deception had a different title back at, at, at the time but it took me about a year to write it um, and then um, I queried about, I think, about 37 espionage and military agents. Uh, and this was right after I'd written Book Zero, my science fiction story. And at that point, you know, um, my goal was to figure out, you know, and I'd gotten you know, zero responses for my science fiction book. And so my goal was to try to figure out, you know, what the problem was. You know, was it, did I, ha- did I have a good story? You know, was my story no good? Or is my writing no good? And, and so that was really my, 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 my goal with my first 37 queries with, with, with book one, with the Trident Deception. Uh, and um, I ended up getting three R&Rs out of the, the first 37 queries. Um, and, it, it, and, and the process basically told me I had a good 
I had a good plot. And in one of the rejections, I had given a full to this one agent. And, um, you know, you know, you know, if you're a writer, you know how you get these rejections from these agents. And, and they never really tell you what's really wrong with your writing. It's always a really soft letdown with these rejections. You know, they say, oh, it's wonderful, but there's always this, there's always this but. You know, but my writing list is it's not right for what I'm looking for, or my agent, my client list is full, or it's always some some silly excuse that you know for some reason why they don't like your manuscript. They never really tell you, you know, what's wrong. You could be the worst writer in the world, and they'll never tell you that your your manuscript is terrible. They'll just give you some really soft excuse as to why they don't they don't like your your manuscript. Well, this one agent uh, in her rejection letter. Um, and it's the only agent ever, and I've queried 180-something agents, the only agent ever came back and told me like it was. She goes, um, she goes, dynamite plot, um, memorable characters, uh, and an outcome almost too horrifying to imagine. And then she goes, but you don't have the writing skills to pull off such a complex mix of action and emotion. Um, and 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 and, uh, and as harsh as that was, it was exactly what I needed to know. Uh, and, and it told me that I had a great plot, but I just wasn't a good enough writer. Um, and and I stopped I stopped querying that 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 minute because it, it told me that I needed to stop and I needed to work on my work on my writing. Um, unfortunately, I really didn't know what to do at that point. I mean, you know, because I spent a whole year studying all these how-to books, about a dozen of them. You know, but but at least it told me that I needed to stop and to go back to ground zero and work on my writing. But fortunately, the next day, the same agent emailed me again, asked me for my address, and then she mailed me a couple of books and she gave me a reading list. Uh, and it began a year and a half long relationship with her, um, where she basically taught me how to write. Um, and I went went through about you know two major revisions with the Trident Deception. And really, if it wasn't for her, I really wouldn't be here be here today. Um, at, at the end of the day, she, she she ended up passing on the Trident Deception, and she she told me to put it down. And she told me to write book two, and she she said that book two would be actually be much better than the Trident Deception. And I just turned book two into my editor um, last month, and who knows, she might be right, um, but we'll we'll see. Um, but um, anyway, uh, after she passed on Trident, I, I I queried again, and I got another eight. I actually got my agent about a month later. And then he submitted my book to um, a fantastic editor at St. Martin's Press, who really loved it, and then actually bypassed the editorial board and went right to the editor-in-chief of St. Martin's, who uh, they they offered a few days later a two-book deal, uh, and then decided to make the Trident Deception a lead title. So, um, yeah, it was an um, interesting, interesting process, but uh, it turned out to have a happy ending. Wow. What an incredible story. Well, I call that pretty exciting, <laughs> you know. I think that's exciting, Rick. It is very exciting. I, I just, I have goosebumps. I'm thinking, you know, that could have happened to anybody, but how, you know, lucky you were to have someone take you under their wing and help you like that. That is amazing. And, and I'm so glad that you didn't take it, like, to heart and never pick it up and continue in other words you took it seriously in in, in a positive way instead of a negative one and kudos to you thanks now i I still i keep in contact with that that first agent 
And uh, in fact, I just sent her the book with a basket of um, chocolates and stuff uh, actually yesterday. So we're still friends, even though she passed and kicked me to the gutter. Uh, <laughs> we we correspond and we're still friends. And like I said, I, I, I pretty much owe her everything between the two agents. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I would not have gotten my, my agent if it were not for the first agent who passed. So, I, I, you know, I owe, I owe her everything, really. So, uh, yeah, we're still friends. Great story. It is, isn't it? I mean, I was getting bits and pieces of this as it was happening um, back back when, but uh, I still love hearing uh, that that whole thing because we all there were a, a, several of us that were all brand new at the same time, and all of our contracts came in within a relatively short time of each other's. Uh, mine and Lindy Walker's and Rick's, and I think there was one other that got their contracts, uh, uh, Danielle DeVore. So we all got our contracts right about the same time in that group, you know, within several months of each other. So it was pretty exciting. Well, Rick, authors work in so many different ways. Are you a planner outlining everything and making extensive notes, or are you a pantser flying by the seat of your pants and letting the book go wherever it will? You kind of answered it, but I'd really like to hear more about what you have to say. Uh, like I uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm the um, uh, I guess I'm probably the ultimate uh, planner. Um, I outline um, everything before I start. Um, my, my books typically have seventy to eighty chapters, so um, I'll have um, a seventy or eighty out, um, chapter outline. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm the ultimate outliner to the point where I actually outline in Excel, and um, each chapter um, will have. Mm, probably, thir- I guess, uh, 13 columns per chapter. Um, so each, each chapter has 13, essentially, segments, um, although um, a couple of the columns are actually for the time zones because I jump around quite a bit between the scenes, so i got to know, uh, for example, I might be in Israel in one chapter, then I might be in Washington, D.C. in the next, and I might be in Hawaii the next. So i got to keep track of exactly what time it is uh, in each chapter so I know... Um, you know, for example, is it daylight? Is it that? Is it nighttime or whatever? As I jump between the scenes, um, and then I have to know exactly, um, uh, you know, the basic outline for the chapters and the different components of the chapter, uh, and I need to know what the, who the main characters are, um, what point of view, you know, whose head I'm going to be in that chapter ahead of time before I write the scenes, um, and, and so on and so forth. And all that has to be laid out ahead of time uh, before I begin to write uh, each individual chapter. So yeah, I'm the ultimate planner. You most definitely are the ultimate planner. I don't think I have ever heard anyone. You know, as you were describing that and using Excel, I thought, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, he's an engineer. Uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. That is a great, that is a great answer. That really is a great answer. And even the, even color code part, some of the cells too, because yeah, yeah, I'm weird. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I think I think Carla, we're going to have to give him the award for for ultimate ultimate outliner. No and planner kidding. To date, anyway. So we'll have to see if if as as we do our podcast, <laughs> we'll have to see if anybody comes close to matching you. But I think you just because I thought Tim Powers was ultimate, but I think you just <laughs> overtook Tim Powers. So what's next for you, Rick? Is we we know there's a sequel. 
Is there going to be a sequel? Is there a book three, though? Is there a book three and four? Um, well, there's a sequel. It's it's billed as a sequel, but I'm not sure you. It's technically a sequel. It's um, it it uses the same characters or some of the same characters. So I guess it's more of a series as opposed to a sequel. Um, um, and um, I'd like to write a book three. I don't have a contract for anything other than books one and two. So I guess we'll see how book one does and and whether or not St. Martin's offers a contract for books you know three on. But I certainly hope so. And if so, um. The same characters uh, will appear in books. Some of the same characters will appear, appear in books some um, three on. And I introduce a new character in, in, at the end, in book two that hopefully will team up with Christine O'Connor um, in books three on. And then, of course, I hope to keep um, Marie Wilson as a re- reoccurring character as well in books three on with Christine and the, the new guy in book two. Well, I'm rather partial to Murray, but. <laughs> we, we know why. <laughs> yeah, I figured you would be. <laughs> well, we've seen a lot of changes in the industry in just the last couple of years. How do you feel the changes have impacted your own work, and how do you feel about those changes? Well, I think the biggest, um, I think, change in, in the industry over the last certainly seven to eight years is um, the ability to self-publish. Um, and, and before that, I mean, you had to go through, you know, agents or as we in the writer industry affectionately refer to them as the gatekeepers, um, to get to, um, a big five or a mid-list, uh, publisher. Um, and now, now you don't have to, um, you, you could always go to a small press, but now you don't have to do that. You can just, you know, self-publish it if you want to, um, you know, format your book now and you can uh, publish it on Amazon or you can publish it on Barnes and Nobles and a bunch of other places. Um, but, uh, you know, the problem today is, isn't the ability to self-publish it. The problem today is the ability to market it. Um, for example, you know, each week, um, traditional, uh, publishers publish 1,000 novels a week. And then on top of that, another 6,000 novels are, pub- are self-published a week. So that's 7,000 novels a week are published. That's a week. So how do you get your novel um, noticed um, in that tidal wave of books that are being published every week? You know, so I think, you know, you know, today the challenge really isn't being able to publish your book. The challenge today is your ability to market your book and get it noticed by people. Uh, so I think we've, you know, I think we've broken down, you know, one barrier where the barrier before was, you know, you, you couldn't, you know, years ago, you couldn't, if you're an aspiring writer, you couldn't get your book published because you couldn't get past the gatekeepers, you know, or even the small presses. There just, just weren't enough of them to get your book published. You know, now, now, now that's not the issue anymore. You can publish your book. Uh, but now you get it published and then, and then it languishes because you know, no one hears about it. And then it's, it's incredibly disappointing as a writer. So um, I think that's, that's the real challenge today. That's, that was, that was such a great answer and it is so true. And we've, we've touched on that in the past, uh, with other guests on the show, but, but you just really hit the, the nail on the head for sure. The myth number is. 
And now it's time for Mythnomer, our word or phrase for the day. And today's phrase is military thriller in honor of Rick. You know, I'm sure this novel is going to be a big success. It's already being favorably compared to the Hunt for Red October by book list, no less. And, and, uh, that's, that's such high praise. And, you know, uh, there's not a lot of, of great submarine novels out there. Uh, there that, that there's a long time it seems in between them why do you think that is is this a, is it a niche market how, how do you think what do you think about that well i think there's a lot of so many novels out there but i think the reason why my book i think is being compared um favorably to the hunt for october is um i think maybe two reasons number one is because um i i have the authenticity to be able to write a a um, the kind of book that Tom Clancy wrote. I mean, even though Tom Clancy was an insurance salesman, you know, he had um, some inside sources that allowed him to write uh, a very authentic book. Um, and, um, you know, I, I had the ability, because of my background, to also write uh, a very authentic book. Um, and also, the second reason is because um, I started with the hunt for red october when i started to work and develop my plot you know when when i think of a submarine thriller you know you know the gold standard for submarine thrillers is the hunt for red october in, in my opinion uh and that's the plot that I, I i began with um when i started working on on my book and i and my first thought was was um you know well why didn't i think of that you know what i mean it's like well geez you know but um but I didn't, and so my, my, my second thought was, well, geez, you know, this was written 30 years ago, 1984, and, and it's like, well, you know, what if I tried to, to um, you know, advance it up into the 21st century, modernize it, and then reverse it, you know what I mean? You know, because the Hunt for October was, um, you know, the United States trying to hunt down a Soviet um, uh, ballistic missile submarine. So I said, well, what, why don't I reverse it, you know what I mean, make a, the Soviet Union, you know, hunting down an American you know, submarine. Although the problem was is that the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, and the Russian Navy is only a shell of itself, and they, and they can't really hunt down uh, an American submarine. So I go, all right, well, let me go shift oceans to the Pacific. And I had the same problem, because in the in the Pacific Ocean, um, you have the, the Russian Navy again, and you have the Chinese Navy, and, and neither Navy was really able to um, hunt down an American ballistic missile submarine in the open ocean. And so I was kind of left with the sad fact that, you know, the only Navy capable of hunting down um, an American submarine was the United States Navy. And then and that was like, ding, that was like my bright idea. I was like, that's it. I got to have the American Navy hunt down one of our own submarines. Unfortunately, you know, getting to the point where the, the president of the United States gives the order to hunt down one of our own submarines is a, is a very tall mountain to climb. Um, when you're trying to build a realistic, believable plot, um, and so that was that was my real challenge with the book was trying to trying to build that believable plot. Um, but yeah, you know, hopefully I hopefully I did a good job at it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I can tell you that you did. It was it was totally plausible. Okay, well thanks. Well, thrillers are very fast paced. What do you do to keep the pace moving steadily forward? Uh, well, well, in my case, um, it begins with kind of at the at the very high level when you 
when you're designing the, uh, when you're laying out the chapters, you know, I do it with um, fairly short chapters. As I mentioned, I, you know, I, I have a lot of chapters. There's 70 to 80 chapters per book. Um, so um, they're, not, they're not very drawn out chapters. They're very focused. Uh, so they try to keep your attention and, and not bog you down. Uh, and, they, and they shift um, scenes quite rapidly, so they try to keep your attention. Um, secondly, uh, each, each chapter um, has certain components. You can't really tell when, hopefully you can't tell when you read it, but there's uh, individual components in the chapter, and they're put together in a certain way to try to keep you, um, they're really focused on pacing in, in, in particular. And so you, you, you kind of, you, you got to kind of pay attention uh, that you don't spend too much time on any one particular area um, and, and, and there's a real trade-off. There's a trade-off in terms of um, spending too much time explaining things uh, and spending too much time on um, character development. Uh, and, and, and again, it's, it's a trade-off um, because you'll, 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 I can see it in my reviews, you know, because I get the comment of reasonably well-developed characters or characters not, not developed well enough. And that's true. I mean, and, and I have to admit um, that I don't spend a lot of time on character development because I think it comes at a trade-off of pacing. Um, um, and I also uh, spent, I was also very conscious not to spend too much time uh, explaining all the military equipment and things because it, it bogs readers down. I tried to spend just enough to um, explain what it was, but not enough to focus on the stuff or the equipment because it's not important. They just got to know enough about it to be able to keep the movie, the story moving forward. So, so basically, in everything that I do and all my writing, it's all focused on trying to keep the pacing, keep, keep the story moving forward. Um, and anything that pull, anything that is a detriment to that, pretty much goes. Well, you, this is a very complex story with a lot of characters. So, I, I love that pacing answer. How does that tie in to the fact that you have so many diverse characters, you so many diverse stories, and all of these threads and tie them together? Do you like take one character and write them all the way through and then just break them up? How do you work that when you're planning your chapters? Uh, I don't uh, write the 32 points of view individually I would I would go nuts if I wrote 32 storylines and then try to put them together so I, I write the story sequentially I start at the beginning and then just kind of go forward for the most part every once in a while if um, I have a particularly difficult scene or if something pops into my head um, that I think is um, pretty neat or, or, or sometimes the, the dialogue can be somewhat tricky sometimes and if I have um, like a, a moment of inspiration, uh, I might jump ahead and write that down because uh, I find that sometimes um, I have this really great scene, and then if I don't write it down, I forget it. Um, so sometimes when when I have something I think is really neat, neat um, I'll I'll jump ahead and I'll, I'll write it down or at least a segment of it, uh, and then um, I'll, uh, and then that way it's there for me when I get to it at some point in the future. But for the most part, I write it in order. Um, and then, and then, so, so, you know, I don't do, I don't do the individual points of view. Um, but the point of view, it's interesting because I do have a lot of characters. I have 95 characters and 32 points of view, um, which is, is almost a no-no. Um, 
for for writers. I mean, I've had I've been in in my writers' discussions, and they were had a discussion about one point of view or two points of view, um, and, and and they were having it's like, oh no, you can't have two points of view in a novel. You can only have one point of view. And I'm going, whoa, I have thirty two, um, <laughs> and it's like, and and amazingly, no one has said anything about having me having too too many points of view. Not my not my agent, not my editor, and so far none of my reviews have had. Um, any comments whatsoever about having too many characters or points of view. In fact, um, my comments have been, I left out, a, you know, I didn't have enough characters. My agent had me add one, and one of my, one of my reviewers said I, added, I left out the Secretary of Defense. It's like, hey, I'm trying to cut down my characters. You know what I mean? I got 95 of them. You know what I mean? So, um, and I think it's because I do, I try to do a very good job as I shift scenes. I'm very conscious trying to orient the reader as quickly as possible as to where he is, um, who's there, and whose head he's in, um, so that there's no confusion. Um, and I think I've, I've done a pretty good job at, at doing that. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, and it moves forward. But I, I, I really did wonder about that because they and they do pick up. It's like that's why I wondered if you wrote that one character all the way through because it it flows really smoothly. Yeah, no, I don't don't write it, but I, I do I do pay attention to that. It's, it's in fact it's the most um, when I when I talk about the individual elements of each chapter, um, the opening paragraph is the most crucial part of each chapter because of the point of view issue. Because I have so many points of view, the first the opening chapter is crucial to uh, reorienting the reader, um, and it, it's got to be done. It's got to be done well, or or you will end up with uh, some very unhappy readers. Well, everyone has their own personal myths, things a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors. What myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? Um, I guess probably that I'm not the creative type. Um, I would have believed that up until now. And in fact, I'm still having a hard time believing I'm I'm very creative. Uh, And I I think even when I started to write, um, I was a closet writer all the way up until I got a uh, got a, a book deal. I didn't tell anyone uh, except for my wife and my um, my two daughters, um, and I didn't tell anyone. Like I said, I didn't tell anyone that I that I was a writer until I got a book deal. In fact, um, when I once I did get the book deal, we we had like a big you know get together with the family, a big dinner and everything else, and we. And we, we we played a guessing game because we I, we told them that hey we had some really great we had some really exciting news and that they would never guess you know what you know what my news was and so the, all the family they all got to we played a guessing game and they guessed for like you know like 20 minutes to try to figure out what my what my exciting news was and they got all the way down to a sex change operation and they still didn't guess that I was <laughs> and had a book deal yeah so that's yeah that, yeah so me being creative is is not anywhere near high on anyone's list which is funny because you said you didn't tell anyone. Of course, the authors you knew knew the other your your fellow writers knew because oh, yeah, we yeah. knew you. Yeah, but we don't count, right? <laughs> yeah, except for the writers. Yeah, you guys, everyone in in, in purgatory uh, knew that I was in, in, in XC. Also, also a member of the pit as well. So uh, everyone, except for my writer friends, uh, no one else knew. Yeah, and and I thought that was because I I remember you telling us about that, and I just thought that was so cute that you were you were finally coming out of the closet as a writer, and it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, 
Okay, Rick, what misbehavior do people believe about you? And this time, it really is true. Uh, well, I, I take a lot of pride in, in, in doing a good job at whatever it is that I do. And I think that really helped me when, um, I think, as a writer. Because you know, even though I really was really clueless when I um, decided to become a writer, you know, I, I, you know I, I jumped in with both feet, you know, and... It wasn't. I wasn't just going to write a book. You know, I you know, I was committed to writing as good a book as I possibly could. And and even if I was going to publish a book or even self-publish a book, it was going to be the best darn book that I could possibly write. And so, I, like I said, I spent a whole year just writing, reading a whole bunch of how-to books. You know, and then even when I got those the three R and R's for my first book, I wasn't just going to take those three R and R's. I mean, once that. One agent told me that I didn't have the necessary skills. I stopped. I wasn't really interested in doing the three R&Rs. I was interested in in learning to become a better writer. And so I, I didn't go with those other three R&Rs. I went with the agent who I thought could help teach me to become a better writer. And so I think that I think that's one of the things I think that's helped me in in the long run is that I'm just I'm, I'm you know I want to do a good job. I, I want to be a good writer. And even now. You know, I still have a, a lot to learn as a writer, and I've learned a lot, um, even as even during the revisions for the first book. You know, I'd learned how to become a better better at pacing. You know, as I, as we talked about earlier, there were still things that I, I wasn't doing very well um, uh, during the Trident Deception, uh, and my editor was still teaching me how to become a better writer. Uh, and there's still a lot of things I still don't do well um, as a writer. And I want to learn how to do those better as I as I get into books three on out. So I just want to continue to learn how to become a better writer as we move forward. And you are such an, a, a shining example too, to because you know you mentioned that you just started doing this what basically four years ago. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and, ago. yeah, and and I love the fact that you're just another example of how somebody can just. Because we hear so many of people who have, I've always wanted to write. I've been writing ever since I was five years old. I've always wanted to be a writer. You hear these stories. And then there's people like you and me who come into it really late and just decide to start doing it. And, and I'm very proud of you for, for your accomplishments and, and congratulations on this, Rick, because, uh, you really, it really is a, a great book and, and you deserve all the success there is. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, Rick, thank you for being our guest. I mean, it's that time of in our show where it's over. It's always come so fast. We appreciate you sharing your information with us, and and we just really want to take time to say thanks. I mean, you're an amazing guy, and and I hope your book goes all the way to number one. No, well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you you gave us so many great, great, great little tidbits in this interview, and I, I do appreciate it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, remember, everyone, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information on Rick Campbell and links to his books. You can also read his bio and find links to his social media. And don't forget that you can download this episode right on iTunes or listen to it right on the MythBehaving.com website. Please take a moment to leave us a positive feedback on iTunes. That's how we move up that iTunes ladder. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes and never miss an episode. Well, thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving. We'll see you again next time. Until then, I'm Carla. 
and I'm Mare, and we are Myths Behaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon. <laughs>